So today, guys, welcome back to um, another episode of Bring Others Along podcast. Um, I'm joined today by Mr. Jamie Lawrence. Um, really, really pleased, first of all, to, to have you on the pod. Um, appreciate your time. Um, very, very interesting story we were going to get in today with Jamie. And I think it's one of those ones that I personally was looking forward to. And I think for a lot of the uh, the people listening a lot of the, the youngsters who obviously know football who are been in and around the game and even those who are a bit older as well I think this is um, a, a story that's really gonna you know inspire and hopefully you know help a lot of people out there which is is obviously the whole point of uh, the pod so Jamie uh, welcome and thank you for, for being on the pod and thanks for having us yeah appreciate it yeah. Um, so before we dive into it there's a lot to get into today a lot that I want to discuss with you but um first and foremost i guess you know how are you doing personally you know yeah, obviously it's doing well i'm just recovering from a broken leg i broke my leg about five weeks ago but i'm up in the gym i was up in the gym after about seven days so it's all good well, this is all up in the mind special healing powers in the mind, <laughs> yeah. no i like it but you know it's obviously been i guess a traumatic year for a lot of people and you know going through the pandemic and stuff like that you know so when I do, you know, ask people that question, it's genuinely, you know, how are you? Yeah. You know, how's your spirit? How's your health? Um, Listen, I'm all right. I've yeah. been through worse. <laughs> you know I mean? yeah, don't let much get me down and that. I'm still here living and I've got my kids and my family. So I'm all good. Yeah, no, nah, no, nah, that's good to hear. So we'll get straight into it because, um, like I said, there's lots to, dis lots to discuss. And I think your story is 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 pretty awesome to be fair you know I had uh, a glimpse at reading a book and, and for those of you who don't know uh, Jamie has got a book out um, from prisons to Premier League which I definitely implore everyone to go out there research to have a read um, but I do want to start more so um, I guess somewhat from the beginning yeah. or at least to give the uh, the audience you know a flavor for you know how you've achieved and got to where you are so looking back at those those early days um and I guess growing up, you know, how was your upbringing? How was the environment, you know, with the household, Jamaican parents, obviously? Listen, I had a loving upbringing. Uh, my mum and dad, good people, loving people, but discipline, you know, in the West Indian yeah. household. You ain't getting away you, with much. You ain't getting away with nothing. <laughs> Even to look at them the wrong way, you would get beaten because you looked at them the wrong way. They, they tell you that I'm beating you for what you're thinking, right? So, it was strict, very strict. And listen, they was justified in how strict they was because they taught me lessons from an early age and stood me in good stead now. Yeah, yeah. No, I can definitely relate, like you said, in a West Indian household, discipline first and, you know, the love and the cuddles afterwards yeah. um, is, is often the way. Yeah, 100%. Um, and, and I I suppose... You know, and we'll get into this a bit later in your story, but I suppose, like you said, you know, that discipline and, you know, kind of those uh, values that they instilled in you probably, you know, were probably the cornerstone of what helped you along your journey. So how was it, I guess, in terms of um, developing as, you know, a youngster and, you know, looking to pursue the dream of being a footballer? What was it that was, you know, being taught in the household and those you know, values that really helped you along the way? You no, know, like, for sport and that, they never really backed you at that time. They always used to tell you to study a book. Yeah, there's uh, always that education. But, but I had um, a lot of support from my primary school. Okay. He, um, the teacher there called Mr. Airy bought me my first pair of football boots. Wow. Because he saw something in me because... I was captain for the football team, I was captain for the cricket team, athletics, I was the best at most sports, except for swimming, and you know we're not really good at that. <laughs> it's always the case. <laughs> I nearly drowned the first time I went swimming, my sister saved me. <laughs> but, yeah, he bought me my first pair of football boots, and uh, he said, you know what, I think you're going to go to the top and that. Wow. And then um, I went to secondary school, and then we had a team called Larkle Phoenix, what we started from the boys from our our primary school and there's a man called Pete Rose who's a massive influence on my football side of things. Mm -hmm. He taught us about winning as well and about working hard and everyone working hard and we was going on long runs at the age of 11. Wow. I mean like three, four miles 
and I'll win everything of and then he's the one he, he nicknamed me champ at that time <laughs> so at that time I kind of knew that I had something and then I went to secondary school teachers as well always said that I had something but it never happened for me mm. I went on a few trials at a few clubs and nothing happened for me yeah I mean it's interesting hearing you say that because I think if you look back at your career now and you know kind of what you've achieved um those early days when you had people that were saying, oh, I, I see something in you and, uh, you know, I, I can see you going places. What was it that you think they saw? What, what was it that you were showing at that time, that prize? I had, I had ability, mm -hmm. but I worked hard mm. and I never liked losing. And I'll be, I'll be the first one in our football pen and I'll be the last one to leave. And the only time I would leave is I would hear mommy's voice. <laughs> <laughs> James and I had to make sure that I run run hold a state and get in before her unless I was in trouble <laughs> uh, and that was everything like even football that was cricket I would be the last one out all the time mm. just practicing my trade and I think you know that's that's a lesson within itself because I think today you know we, we spoke about this off camera and the stuff you were doing with, with the youngsters now in the community and stuff like that and it's instilling that you know, that hard work, you know, the, that saying where, you know, it goes, um, you know, hard work beats talent. I mean, um, when talent don't work. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, I guess, from those early days that you really, I guess, built your foundation on, I'm going to outwork, I'm going to work as hard yeah, well, as I possibly can. Well, mommy and daddy always said to us as well, that like, as a black person and a black man in England, you've got to work twice as hard to get anywhere. Facts. You know what I mean? So I took that on board from an early age. And I knew that I had to outwork anyone. Wow. And I, I suppose, and this is a good segue, because when you were mentioning earlier where I guess you, you went to a few clubs, you know, it didn't quite work out uh, for whatever reason. Um, and I guess the uh, the opportunities weren't, you know, as, um, as open as you would have liked. What... I guess kept you going what was that you know kind of belief or was there a belief in you that you know what I can I can achieve yeah, this but I had people around me always telling me that you can make it um, you're, de you're definitely good enough to make it and for me as well when all my friends were smoking and drinking and all that mm. I weren't doing none of that I made sacrifices like I've never been a smoker Later on, I'd picked up the drink, but I've never been a smoker when they're smoking weed and the cigarettes. Never touched none of that because I was an individual from early doors. And I guess it's it's good hearing you saying that, but most people, and especially youngsters, you know, is especially in today's today's world with social media, with all the different influences and and you know the exposure they've got. Usually, it's uh you know, a tribe mentality is, you know, following the, the, the masses. Following the crowd. Exactly. So that mindset that you developed early on to be your own individual, you know, not going right when everyone is going, but, you know, you yeah. stay in your course. Yeah. Um, do you think that's what separated you, I guess, from? I believe that's others? what separates me. I think it's still what separates me now. Because mm. I've always had a strong mentality that if I don't believe in something, I ain't going to do it. Wow. Yeah, and I guess it's, it's testament to, you know, what you've gone on to achieve because, like you said, a lot of people um, would probably fall victim to, oh, my friends are doing this. So I'm going to jump yeah, on it. And, and just follow on the bandwagon. Yeah. So I guess moving along to, or progressing, I should say, to the part in the story where, and like I said in your book, um, Prisons in the Premier League, there comes a time, I guess, in everyone's life where you are tested you know and i think that testing time came for you i believe is it was around 17 or so a young Seven. teenager can you speak on that because i think that's yeah, a, a real turning point in your life uh, as a young man and all that you you don't realize how important your mom and dad are mm. uh, until they've gone and my mom and dad dad worked all their life in this country or a lot of their life in this country and they're yeah. ready to go home they were ready to go back to jamaica they wanted me to go with them, wanted my sister to go with them. But I, I always wanted to play football. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I want to stay, mum. Like, so she said, like, you can stay, stay with your, stay with your uncle. 
And then my sister got a flat, so I was living with my sister. And then I was working as a mechanic. I was getting £50 a week. And £50 a week, you get paid on a Friday, £50 gone. <laughs> Friday evening. <laughs> yeah, it's done Friday evening. So, like, at that point now, I'm starting to get into some stuff on the road or whatever. Mm. Like, people would try to bully me. i turn the tables on them. And I started getting mixed up in a lot of, a lot of rubbish on the road. Yeah. And then ended up getting myself in trouble for the first time. Yeah. Uh it's interesting because I, I guess reading your story and you know all of the research I was doing it was like you said a very testing time when your parents moved back to Jamaica and you, you were on your That's own stability yeah you know I, mean? I guess it, it kind of left you almost to your own devices or you had to yeah. find a way as you said and you know in terms of the income you were earning at the time probably wasn't you know and that man who gave me the job he gave me the job because he was a football manager of a team I was playing for. Okay. And he he thought you'd definitely make it as a professional. Wow. So he gave me a job to try and keep me on the straight and narrow. But obviously the money weren't yeah. the greatest. So that's when I started getting in trouble. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, it's all obviously in the book and, and written in terms of um, then, like you said, getting caught up in the wrong crowds, getting caught, you know, doing... Yeah, well, I never say the wrong crowd. I was probably the wrong crowd. Mm. I mean, you've got to be accountable because you've got a choice. I mean, yeah, and I guess a lot of people probably won't even admit that, yeah, you know, in terms of that accountability. Time, it was me, like, I got I got three years first. Third, um, four robberies, one assault and one fifth. I've done... I'd, I went to um, Felton Prison. I remember going in there and I saw a lot of my friends in there. Really? And this is where my fitness obsession come in. Because mm. then when I was laughing at me in the gym, because <laughs> like, I couldn't lift the fives on the side <laughs> on the bench press. Uh, and now I'm determined I am. Yeah. Once I went back to my cell, <laughs> I started doing press-ups and dips all day. Right? Right. As soon as I... Since I'll get a rest and I couldn't do no more. I'll get up, go back down, right? And I kept on doing that. By the time I finished that sentence, I got out doing, I'd done a year out of that, I got parole first time. Mm. I was third strongest in the prison. Whoa. In a powerlifting competition. Right. So I came out, got parole. And and I quickly um, re-offended again. And I... I guess going back to the first time, because like you mentioned earlier, football was the driving force for you, you know, obviously. I played for the prison team on the first one as well. <laughs> so yeah. everywhere you went or everyone that I guess was associated with you in some way, shape or form, they saw the talent. They yeah. knew, you know, you had the ability to do it. Psychologically, what did it do to your mental when I guess, you know, you had that, that first sentence, were you thinking, it's over for me. This, this is it. Yeah, I thought my dream was over. Really? I thought my football dream was over. And then, obviously, I was, I was out six weeks, and committed another crime. I was on the run for six weeks. Wow. But it was, it wasn't nothing like that. It was someone who I had ongoing war with. Mm. He was bullying my friend when I was in prison. Okay. So we saw him when I come out. Stuff happened. Yeah. Um, robbed him. Should not proud of that side of it, but it was part and parcel of mm. the road thing at the time. Yeah, yeah, of course. And um, this is what I'm talking about. Be careful in who you walk the street with. My my friend ended up going queen evidence against me. Wow. Stood up in the dock and give evidence against me, and I ended up getting four years. Yikes. Was that the he same got, friend? The same friend I jumped in for who was getting bullied when I was in prison. Wow. And he got not guilty. Because I don't, I don't go in the dock. Yeah. Mm. You know, it, it's almost a, a story which is told almost too many times, really. Um, sadly, yeah. in, in our community where, you know, you do have these instances that in a lot of ways, most people aren't going to, you know, come back or be able to turn that corner that you've done yeah. um, in a lot of ways and a lot of times. And, you know, that 
becomes a, a cycle, you yeah, know, for them, this spiral and they're repeat offenders, etc. Mm -hmm. So I guess the second time when, you know, you actually um, went in, was there a turning point or what was that, that moment Listen, in your life? That was, I remember when I got the sentence, I got the four years and I remember what the judge said to me. And he said to me, listen, if you ever come back in front of me again, I'm going to lose you in the system. Wow. Judge said that. That's what the judge said to me. Uh, that's a wake up call. If yeah, ever there was. was one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like, and I'm, I've just turned 21 as well. I'm going into a big man's prison as well. Mm. And I'm thinking my dream as a footballer is over. I think crime's going to be for me. And I don't care who you are. You're scared when you're going into big man's prison. You're scared. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then after the sentence, they shipped me to like Isla White Camp Hill Prison, which was a naughty prison for the sentence I was doing. I was doing four years. I got four years. But ended up being a savior. Really? So expand on that because most people hearing this would probably think how is being shipped off to, to Isle of Wight in, in this prison you know become a saviour but I suppose and, and you know it's, it's documented in the book as well yeah. you know that was where you actually I guess got your second chance almost or, or the break so you, yeah. expand on that yeah, right first of all when I first got there someone tried to bully me I broke my hand first right on this person he got shipped out, got seven days at the mm. operation on my hand. Then a few months later, we had an inter-wing competition where all the wings in the prison play each other. Okay. My, they saw me play football, they said, oh, do you fancy playing in that? I said, yeah, I'll, I'll have a game on that. <laughs> we ended up winning it. Then we, um, they have a prison side, teams come in to play the prison side. Really? Yeah. And it's like, you know, Mean Machine. Have you seen Mean Machine? Where the, pr <laughs> the prisons are on the outside. Yeah. <laughs> Very hostile, yeah. That's <laughs> the only crowd I played in front of the first. Yeah? And there was a man called, do you remember a boxing promoter called um, Ambrose Mendy? He's Nigel Ben's boxing promoter. Oh, okay. Yeah, Paul's yeah, yeah. Paul Ince's agent. He was in the prison. He was doing two and a half at the time. So we played against the semi-pro side. I scored two goals. Mm. I scored the winner in an eighty-something minute header. Yeah, I scored on. one in the top top ends. We beat them three-two. <laughs> he's come up to me. He's gone. Listen, I'm getting out soon. I'm gonna get you trials. Obviously, you think he's gassing and that. Like, yeah. <laughs> but then, what happened? The semi-pro manager has gone to the governor and asked him if I can play for their team. So, so, so this, yeah. this is, this is crazy. Cause reading this, I was, I was thinking how, when, why would they even, you know, allow you to, to do such a thing? And, you know, like how did that even come about? You no, must have had I, a hell of a conversation. But I had a, I had already done a year at the time. Mm. My parole was coming up after 16 months of a, of a four year sentence. So they said, listen, when he goes up for his parole and if he gets knocked back and goes on home leave and comes back, then we'll have this conversation again. Mm. So I went on home leave, come back, and now I've got a little inkling that yeah. I'm going to get let out every weekend. Wow. How, yeah. how, just, that, that just seems crazy <laughs> to me, but I guess in, in doing that, and you know, this is where it got, you know, really intriguing for me because I was, like you said, at this stage, I guess you're thinking, dream of being a, a professional footballer, footballer is, is yeah. completely gone. But, yeah. you know, in a very almost strange roundabout way, you find yourself in an environment yeah. where most people aren't thinking about yeah. football really. But yeah. that's really where I guess it is. It almost the tide kind of turned for yourself. Um, football is my savior. Yeah. Without football, I don't think I'd be here today. Wow, really? That's how deep it was, like, because of things I was getting into, I might not have been there. Wow. Right. So, like, when I came back from my home leave now, and they said, yeah, at first, they would only let me on the Isle of Wight. Mm. I could only play on the Isle of Wight, and the, uh, Mr. Walder, who's the gym um, governor, he's the one who went out on a limb for me, mm. and the governor of the prison. Mr. Walder was the one who was to take me to the matches. Okay. 
right? So like I started playing, and there was at first I had about two hundred fans, but because I started coming out and playing and I was doing really well, they started getting five hundred, six hundred fans. Wow. Then they la allowed me to go on the mainland and play when the team was going. I was going on the ferry on a Saturday. I'll be coming back in Away my days. cell. I'll be coming back at nine, ten o'clock at night. After they give me a couple of guineas as well, <laughs> <laughs> they giving me chewing gum as well to, to master thing, giving me all crisp and all that as well. Wow. How was that? And this is interesting. How was that? I guess yes. at the time with 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 the other inmates, you know. With, you, you know what? I'm still friends with them, and I thought of him inmate really? because I was so humble. Mm. And I just done my thing. I slipped under the radar. I never went on with nothing. Every single one of them backed me. It, the only person I had a problem with was one um, prison officer mm. who thought that every prisoner should be doing hard labour. Mm. Uh, but I had TV cameras. I had radio stations. I had newspapers. I had everything coming into the um, prison to do interviews. Wow. It, it was mad. I was like... Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. You're, you're yeah, as you're trying talking. I'm, I'm trying to picture how that whole yeah. experience must have been for you, and yeah. you know, like like you said, you know, probably going into that jail, you're thinking going into the prison, you're thinking, oh, you know, this is it for me, and yeah. then you know, a turn of events that somehow is able to shape your career now to what you went on and and, and do yeah. this. This is taking place right before your eyes. I couldn't believe. It. I have to pinch myself sometimes now to um, think that it happened to me, you know, because no one's done it before and no one's done it after. Yeah. I, I was about to say, I don't think I've heard of any pro no. footballers who got their break in prison, no, <laughs> you know. Three or four years. <laughs> yeah. no, I know a pro footballer who's, but never to get to the Premier League and play for their mm. country. Wow. Like my friend Ricky Otto done the same thing. And that's a, it's a mad story in itself as well, because... Obviously, I was playing for this team for 10 months. Yeah. We won a cup, but they gave me parole early. Right? Mm. Um, they gave me parole. They gave me six months parole. But they'd done... They, it was very clever in what they'd done. They gave me parole in pre-season so I could start the season at a club so I couldn't get in trouble in the meantime. Wow. And, and very clever. And I ended up... Ambrose Mendy actually was true to his word and got me a trial at Southend Football Club. And that's where I ended up bumping into Ricky Otto for the first time. Yeah. Who, so had, it, who had been in that prison before me and been on the same wing before me. Wow. See, so in a lot of ways, he almost was, you know, the, I wouldn't say the blueprint, but having been through a similar experience yeah. and a similar path to you, you were able to... I guess connect or at least in some shape or form identify you know with his own journey with him and there's a lot of players there there's Chris Powell Andy Ansar there's loads of them there wow. and every single one of them took care of me and I, I'm we're really good friends now wow because I'll never forget that yeah and, uh, and you know we were talking off camera about you know how I guess the relationship you have with people and, and you know yeah. people always remember how you make them feel yeah. You know, even if, you know, they get your name or your face or whatever the case is, they always say, oh, that Jamie, you know, good kid, you know, yeah, really loyal. like him. Yeah, yeah, loyal stuff like that. So you, you think that was something that, whether it was instilled in you at a young age or you develop, but that ability to, you know, connect and, um, like you said, be loyal, you know, to people, you think that's something? Be that... truthful. Mm. Even though I've, it sounds mad that I've been in prison or whatever, but... Mm. I was truthful, like, I was true to myself. Yeah. All right? And I was true to others. Like, you knew where you stood with me. I mean, and it's, I think that's... A, I've got better was age before. <laughs> when I was younger, it's a, it's a fighting thing. <laughs> now I can articulate myself a yeah. lot better. Yeah. And I was very quiet back in the day. I was one of those ones in the corner. I was quiet. Wow. Yeah. That was, was from mummy and daddy heard and not seen yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's a classic classic <laughs> line you know children should be heard and not seen yeah, yeah but I, was, I was quiet i was yeah. really quiet so it's interesting hearing you saying that though i guess and you know this is something that hopefully a lot of you know youngsters who you know want to get into football or 
not even just football, just in life in general, how they, you know, carry themselves and maybe they have got aggression. Maybe they have got, you know, things that are happening in and around them that are causing them to act out of character, you know. How did you, I guess, start to deal with that, you know, anger and really channel it to where, you know, like you said, you, you can I actually found deal fitness with it. Mm. And I found football. Right, and I, I channeled everything into my fitness and football. They had to give me a, um, a job in a prison, in a prison gym, so I could get fit. Wow. So I could go out and play football and whatever, and I'd be the fittest there. So I'd be in the gym from nine o'clock until one o'clock, go back for lunch, and then back from 2.30 until 4.30, and then I'd come back in the evening sometimes. And I was still training before the boys woke up in my cell, and I trained last thing at night. Wow. So that's what I find. I never had no t energy to fight anybody. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, no one, no one tested you back, yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Now, and I think it's it's probably something that's lost, you know, a lot of the time when I guess you know you're, and we'll get to this a bit later as well with if you know the youngsters that you're you know coaching, you're quite involved with. Yeah. You know how important it is, you know, for that hard work to really be at the forefront or almost be the foundation that you build on and not just rely on talent or not just rely on well, anything else really. Listen, uh, I had a young group what I trained last night and I was telling them about hard work. Mm. So that's the only thing you're guaranteed you're in control of, mm. it's hard work. Like, especially when it comes to football, because that's my field. You're not gonna play well all the time. Yeah. But it's you bad. can still affect the game by working hard, right? And I can stop my opponent. My thing is when I go on the pitch, I'm gonna, if I'm gonna play rubbish, I'm gonna make sure he plays rubbish as well. Mm. <laughs> right? I like that. And I'm gonna outwork you, right? <laughs> I guess one of the things I wanted to get into is, is how did that transition then happen to you actually being, you know, I guess turning pro. What? How did that come about? Even even that never come easy, because I had three knockbacks. Southend I never got nothing. Mm. Millwall never got nothing. And Wimbledon I never got nothing. Right. Wow. But everything happens for a reason for me. Mm. Because then I went to Sunderland, and old England captain Terry Butcher was a manager. Wow. I remember going Legend. up there and I was I went up there on a Sunday. They put me in some hotel, you know. I've never <laughs> been in a jacuzzi before in my life. I got I got jacuzzi, yeah. But man's homesick. Yeah. I was homesick and you I I couldn't understand them at first. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm homesick, I wanna come home, man. I'm ringing my boys and I'm homesick. Yeah, like, get back to London, yeah, yeah. I wanna go back to London, but I trained on the Monday, I trained Tuesday, trained Wednesday, and we played Thursday. Played, played Leeds at Roker Park, and I played really well. I knew I played well. Played, played against someone called Kevin Sharp, who had played first team games. And then the next day, Terry Butcher called me in his office. Big Terry Butcher, you know mm. that England captain, yeah. and everyone seen that Iconic. picture. Yeah, yeah, bandage, uh, bloodied head. Legend, yeah. absolute legend. Yeah call me in his office he's gone sit down son he's gone you excite me I'm going to assign you wow what's that feeling well, like, I like when you hear those words three months ago I was PN2991 Lawrence now I'm getting signed by a championship club a massive club in Sunderland couldn't believe it, but then you're still thinking something might go wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's like, go home, get your stuff. In the week, we got Leicester, come and play in that game, and you come back on the bus, and we put you up in the hotel. Wow. So I went went home to London, tell the boys, yeah, I'm going to sign. But it's still, at the, you've got that nagging thought with the back of your head until you've signed the yeah. paper. Until that ink is dried. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, true to his word, went to Leicester, come back. I signed on my mum's birthday. Wow. Uh, really? Signed on the Friday of my mum's birthday. And then um, 
I made my debut two days later, live on ITV against Middlesbrough, came off for 20 minutes. And we lost that game 4-1. And then I made my home debut, started on the Tuesday, beat Luton 2-0 at home, mm. um, got man of the match, and I thought this football game's easy. <laughs> <laughs> I can do this. Yeah. And that's the first time we went, the boys took me out. I had reporters waiting for me outside as well. Wow. Uh, Jay Louse Rock was a headline and Escape to, oh, it's all, <laughs> all different headlines. I, I really want to get into that because I don't want it to be missed, you know, yeah. that transition. But just briefly going back, when you said, you know, those knockbacks that yeah. you got. And again, being in prison, you know, yeah. going through that whole pro that, that whole experience, I'm sure for anyone traumatic, yeah. you know, especially, you know, what you were, were where you wanted to be and your goals and everything. Yeah. So those knockbacks, what kept you, I guess, thinking or believing I can still do this? Cause one knockback is enough for most people. Uh, Cause, from a prison officer mm. and a governor are putting their job on the line, mm. right? They're literally putting them. If I go out and I do something wrong, right? Their jobs are on the line. All that pension, what they've saved up or whatever, that's on the line. Mm. And the manager of this football team, Dell Young, he's writing to every club in the country saying that I could be a pro. Wow. Right? All of them had 100% belief in me. So that gave me mm. belief in myself. And I'm thinking, I don't want to let them down. Yeah. You know I mean? I'm not coming back to jail. I'm not going to let them down. I'm going to make this. I had the whole prison behind me as well, <laughs> which is a massive as well. Yeah, I, I suppose it's, it's testament to, you know, and we spoke about it offline as well, having that support system or someone who genuinely believes in you, who yeah. genuinely wants to see you, you do, do well. You want yeah. to do better for yourself because it, it, like you said, I guess your your reasoning for for wanting to push so hard is to not, you know, let those guys down. Yeah. Um. And in turn, it actually propelled you to a level that you probably didn't know you had within yourself. I never knew I had that level. Even it's only like the last four years. Wow. That I've realised about my mentality. Yeah, we were talking about this. Yeah. Um, I never realised my mentality was different. I thought everyone was like this. <laughs> so my my pals lately have been saying, no, you've never been normal. Yeah. <laughs> 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 right? no, so uh, you know what normal boring. Yeah. It is boring. I like to be different. Yeah. I, I think that's, you know, it's absolutely true. I mean, like you said, we, we were talking about this earlier and, you know, not everyone is, is, is blessed or I guess can, can uh, develop or have that mindset to where, you know, no matter what, you keep moving forward, you, you know. And, and dust and yourself off. Absolutely. And I think you've had, you know, some of the biggest um, setbacks, you know, in, yeah. in, in life, you know, for yourself yeah. and, and to really navigate and not just come through it, but to navigate that process because I'm trying to understand really and truly what your mindset what what mentally where you were mm. when you when you were in those in those cells when when you were sat there yeah. just on your own like yeah. what was that like because that that must have been tough yeah to envision what you you came out and obviously achieved yeah the only time i cried in prison was when my mom visited me really yeah that's my lowest time in there because the first sentence, because she was in Jamaica, we actually was able to keep it from her. I would send letters on normal paper. This she, my sister was sending. Wow, she had mom. no idea. She had no idea. Wow. But then the second sentence, now she came over. She's like to my sister, "Where's my son?" And I was in Wormwood Scrubs. She come on a visit, and I was. She's like crying. Why? Why are you doing this to my son? Why are you doing this to me, son? And I don't care who you are. You see your mum, your little yeah. mum, like, mm. bawling. It's no worse feeling. Yeah. yeah. I went back to my, my cell. I felt horrid. I was I was gutted. Yeah. Yeah. That's so the worst part for me yeah. in prison. 
and I suppose even you know with your sister and I guess your siblings and everyone else who's obviously still here yeah having your mum see you in such a a position yeah. you know you know I guess in her head you know you you yeah, you had a little boy, you know. Yeah. You, you know. I was the youngest. I'm the youngest and the go. baby. You know, yeah. So she's she's probably feeling a bit of responsibility. Like, how did this happen? You and know? yeah, but it wasn't her fault. Yeah, like you, you've served your purpose in this country. You've looked after us. Mm. Uh, even though I was 17, like it's not your fault that I ended up in prison. I had the choice. Yeah. And I've always told her that. And well, she's passed away now. But I told her up until the day she died. You know? Yeah. Nah, I think that's, I guess there's moments like that, you know, throughout your story and, and understanding, you know, how things have really turned around for you and while well, you've really turned around your life is, is those moments where they're almost triggers, they're almost things that yeah. happen to really kick you into gear or... Yeah, there's you know, a load of triggers, like people believe in you. Yeah. You know, you're coming out and Terry Butcher signing you and even then Terry Butcher signed me then he got sacked after two months. Wow. And then someone else come in, char come in charge now. He was a reserve team manager and never liked me. Mm. He never liked me and my friend called David Rush, who I actually spoke to. Me and him are still friends now. To this day. Yeah, good friends. He took care of me when I went out there. He, mm. he showed me about he showed me about too much actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll leave that for another time. We'll yeah. leave that for another time. So like this manager come in, never liked me. Played me once, I think played me once. And then um one of my family members got ill over Christmas. I was injured anyway. Mm. And I said to him, like, can I go back to London? One of my family is ill. The man told me about I've got one day, it'll give me one day off to come from Sunderland into London and then come back. Wow. I don't care, that's my family. I took 10 days off. Jeez. Uh, then I come back and I weren't on much money. You find me two weeks' wages. Mm. Uh, and then it made it hard for me. Yeah. Then um, Terry Butcher's assistant, Ian Atkins, took over at Doncaster Rovers, who was, that's League Two now. Well, it's, yeah, it was League Two at the time. And I said to him, like, any chance you're coming for me? And he's gone, yeah, I'll come and get you. He paid £20,000 for me. Wow. And, uh, and then he got the sack. So I'm thinking I'm getting every manager the sack now. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Is it me at this point? <laughs> I'm getting this manager the sack <laughs> as well. But then I, I always say that things happen for a reason. Mm. A man called Sammy Chung come in. He used to be at Wolves and whatever. Yeah. So I've come back pre-season now. The boys have been back earlier because they had to find digs for me. I was in digs. I was living in digs. Okay. There's a family and whatever. Come back now. I've played one game. They call me in the office. No one don't know who I am because I played eight first-team games. No one don't know me. They call me in the office. I think I'm in trouble. <laughs> Him and someone called George Smith, who was like a proper sergeant major, yeah. sat me down. He's gone, what do you want to achieve out of football? I said, I want to, I want to play in the Premier League. He's gone to me, you can achieve what you, what you want to achieve. You can go to the Premier League. You've got all the talent in the world. Mm. From every team talk after that, get the ball to Jamie. Jamie? Want you taking people on, getting crosses in a box, show them what you got. Wow. Ten months after signing from Doncaster, sixteen months out being in prison, I was playing in the Premier League. Leicester City come in and sign me for three hundred grand, and I passed that manager at Sunderland on the way. It made it even sweeter. That is incredible. Mad. Incredible. I mean, in that moment, you're you've had this conversation out and you know, the question is put forward to you. What do you want to achieve? What do you want out of football? And your response is, I want to play in the Premier League. Yeah. And almost like you've manifested it. Yeah. That, that self-belief obviously and the ability you have. Yeah. And then Leicester City comes in. But, but even then, I wasn't proper professional. No one had taught me how to be a professional. Mm. I, 
I'd never been coached in my life until I'd gone to Sunderland. Wow. At 23, I'd never been coached. I coached myself. All the ball work, all the... Everything, even on the pitch, that desire, wanting to win, wanting to work hard. I coached myself. Wow. And I guess that's why now, looking back, your friends can all say... Yeah, Jamie, I don't, I don't think this was normal. I don't, I don't yeah, think there was, yeah, this is not normal. something that everyone possessed because, you know, most people do rely on, you know, someone to be able to, to coach push them. and coach. Yeah. And, you know, absolutely fine. It definitely helps. But I think in those early days for you to almost have that built in. Yeah, that raw ingredient. And yeah, yeah. And taking a, in things as well. Identifying it for yourself as well. Mm. You know, I was, I was able to do that. Wow. What was the experience like at Leicester? Oh, wicked. The first season, I signed late on, I think it was um, January, me and Ro Mark Robbins signed and Gary Parker. And we went down, they was down there anyway, went down. And the next season we started, it was Mark McGee signed me. And then next season we started, we started really well. Mm -hmm. and Mark McGee walked out and went to um, Wolves. Obviously, he thought it was a bigger club. Mm -hmm. Then um, Martin O'Neill come in. <sighs> legend. Another legend, yeah. Proper legend. But he started off bad, really badly. Obviously, he was trying to get his own players in. Mm -hmm. I think we was 10th at one point and they was, up, they was calling for his head. Wow. And he, you know what Martin O'Neill's like? <laughs> he, keeps, he kept all the letters, didn't he? <laughs> all the letters that he was writing and he kept all the letters. <laughs> and then we went on an unbelievable run and ended up getting promoted um, to the Premier League. But I was saying to you, I, w I wasn't professional. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's, I went missing for 10 days and he knew, I tried to say that I was sick. <laughs> All right. And he knew I weren't sick. Yeah? <laughs> All right. Even though I managed to get a doctor's note. And a, yeah? Did you? <laughs> I, I managed to get a doctor's note. But, I wanted to get back now because we have Crystal Palace in the playoff final and I want to be involved. Mm. So I'll come in one day and all of, we've got our suits and everything. See me. <laughs> and he's gone to me, listen, get your suit and F off. <laughs> no way. I don't want to see you until next season. So I'm at home now watching the playoff final. And I'm willing the boys on and it because a lot of money riding on it as well. Like. <laughs> And um, Steve Claridge scores last minute winner, mm. goal mentor. Then next season, this is what I like about Martin O'Neill. Don't hold a grudge. Mm. I'll come in next season, training and training well. But I'm travelling from London to Leicester and Leicester and back every day. Because I want to be around the boys. Wow. Driving. Wow. That's a lot of mileage. <laughs> So we were going on pre-season tour to Tour Point, like Cornwall, I think it was, somewhere there. I get on the train, I was got on the train this time, turn up late, I got on the wrong train, turn up 15 minutes late. They've gone, they've gone, they've left. So I'm like, God, trouble. <laughs> so I've made my way the next, next day, all the way to Cornwall now, yeah? So he's going to, what happened to you? I said, oh, the trains were delayed. I thought nothing of it. Mm. I said, all right, cool. Next day, I'm sat at canteen after the training. He comes in, he's going to have a word. He gave me the biggest dressing down of my career. I said, you lying. <laughs> I can't even repeat some of the words <laughs> he's saying, right? Martin, uh, right? I you. He had got all the times of the trains printed out, right? Oh, wow. All of them printed out. All right? and, and before the times of phones or whatever, I printed every time, right? He said, and I was like, yeah, you got me. <laughs> right? And he said, listen, this is going to be the hardest pre-season you've ever had in your life. You've got to be in every single day. But you know what, cause. I shut my mouth and I got on with it. By the end of pre-season, 
I'm in the squad. Wow. I played the first game against Sunderland and I was in the squad for the whole season and we ended up winning the cup. I think it's, it's there's no there's no secret I suppose because even reading about it and I hearing you actually you know kind of transcribe it is it just gives a new meaning to dedication and hard work because like and you learning said, yeah and, and learning because I, I suppose like you said you know credit to Martin didn't keep a grudge he just wanted probably the best out of you and it he could have been another manager who mm. would say listen I'm selling you mm. you know what I mean? yeah and I suppose that work that you put in that showed him yeah. you know you're obviously dedicated you yeah. know you want to be here yeah. you know probably changed his mind and made him you know put you forward yeah. the way you did yeah you offered me your contract at the end of the year wow because I read you know, and you've said it obviously here as as well. Um, that that him and Terry, I think, were yeah, him and Paul Jewell were my favourite. Yeah, yeah. I, I weren't with Terry long enough, but I'm I'm always grateful Terry to Terry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gave me the opportunity to play. Yeah. yeah. Nah, that, I, I I just even listening to it now because I guess reading it is one thing because I'm yeah. trying to visualise and picture some of the events that happened yeah. that led up to where you know you yeah. guys actually achieved you know league cup status um success and etc yeah. but i guess hearing you speak on it you know is a different level of experience because yeah. i can tell you know maybe those moments you're it, probably also thinking about like defining wow, moments yeah, for me yeah. every defining moment because it taught me how to be more professional even though it's only when i went to bradford i went to ultra professional mm. but he taught me how to be professional and like, wherever he sees me now, he gives me a hug and says that he's proud of me, which is massive for me. Yeah, that's huge. So yeah. Bradford, good segue. I think it's probably, you know, the, the club that you dubbed your, your favourite out of all the uh, the yeah. clubs you played for. Yeah, I was there six years, near enough. I go back all the time. Fans love me, like, and we, we had success there. Little Bradford got Little Bradford into the Premier League. Wow which is like other teams winning the Champions League. Mm. You know, like, I remember like, he offered me a new contract, Martin O'Neill. And, but one thing I loved about him, he was always very honest, he's like, listen, I can't guarantee you first team football. Because Simon Grayson was playing in my position and there was Lenny, Parks and Muzzy in midfield. Yeah. So I said like, he said like, there's a, f a couple of clubs coming for you. And he said, I'm going to let you go for 50 grand because of the service, what you've given me. Mm. So I was like, uh, I went away for the weekend and come back. Me and him had some f uh, dinner. And I said, you know what, Gaffer, I think I need to go and play first-team football. And I think every footballer should go away and play first-team football. Because yeah. you never know how good you could be. Mm. And then I was away in Jamaica. And my agent rang and said, Bradford City were involved, um, Gillingham and some, what, someone else. He said, Bradford City, big club. Mm. I said, yeah, I think I'll take the Bradford City. I signed via fax from Jamaica. <laughs> I was in Jamaica with, with my girl at the time. And I signed via fax. So I've come back a couple of weeks later. I've done no training whatsoever. Chris Kamara signed me. Chris Kamara. Yeah. And Paul George is his number two. So I've got off the plane now. I've done no training whatsoever. I'm in now. I go straight to Bradford. I've got pre-season training tomorrow. This man loved the run as well, Chris <laughs> Kamara. And he could run himself. So he's at the front. <laughs> I'm at the back with the keepers. <laughs> <laughs> Once you're with the keepers, <laughs> yeah, you oh. know you're in trouble. <laughs> I'm like six and a half mile run. I've just been on on the booth for <laughs> two weeks. Get this, get this punch. You're down. <laughs> just live your life. I don't like nah. So after a couple of weeks, anyway, I'll get fit quick. I'm up there and that. Mm. But like, Cammy and that, never really saw eye to eye with Cammy. Paul Jewell now, mm. he had to take me for my medical. So uh, we can't come back now. He's, he's gone to Curry, yeah. Um, it's gone. 
yeah, he's passed, but um, got some other news as well. He said that the doctor wants a second opinion on his pineapple. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I started laughing, yeah, and, and Paul George one night. From that minute, he was having me. Yeah. Right. Nah, that's, that's, that's beautiful, man. Yeah. I, I think throughout the whole, you know, kind of story in your career, there always seemed to be moments where, you know, people would really step up to the plate and, yeah. and really have your back. And yeah, really gravitate back. to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do, do you think it was, and obviously, you know, we spoke about the ability and, and, the, and, the work rate, and the work rate, but do you think there was something about you as a person? I think it know? warmed me as a person. I think I was an infectious character. Like, mm. I mean, like, they knew as well that I'd go to war for them. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was honest. Even on the football pitch, they knew what they was getting from me. Uh, I'd get hurt for the calls, and they knew that. Wow. I got hurt numerous times for the calls. Uh, Chris Kamara, he, he never really saw it. Uh, he got sacked, another one just got sacked because of me. <laughs> <laughs> you got a bit of a trend going yeah. on there, Jamie. No, but then Paul George took over. Mm. And that's where the story started, probably. Because... He only took over for like, I think it was about three months that season. And we had lone players. We ended up mid-table, something like that. Then the next season, they gave him the job. Gave him a bit of money to spend. And that season, that pre-season, I learned from the pre-season before. Yeah. I never went on holiday. <laughs> right? Never went on holiday at all. I was training at six o'clock in the morning, 12 o'clock in the afternoon, 12 o'clock at night. I was timing all my runs. Wow. My gym work, I was... I was timing, um, documenting all of them. And I went back, winning everything. All the long runs, everything. I won everything. Within three weeks, he bought me in the office, gone, wanted to sign a new four-year four year contract. And that season, we started off bad as well. We was full from bottom. And then we went on a 20-something game unbeaten run. And then we played Wolves last game of the season to get into the Premier League. Wow. And we went 1-0 down after 15 minutes. And we battered and we was up 3-1 up. Then I get brought down for a penalty. We would have been 4-1 up. We would have been doing all A's and everything. <laughs> Peter Bigger ends up missing it. Yeah? <laughs> then they score. Squeaky bumps. Yeah, right? squeaky bumps. <laughs> and they score three 3-2. They hit the post as well. Uh, and then obviously we get up we get up to the Premier League Bradford City in the Premier League what is that feeling like? and that's the reason why I left Leicester as well because I wanted to be part of a Premier League team mm. that's what I said when I left I said when the team what we can go up in the Premier League and my dream just came true yeah no it's nothing short of incredible because I think throughout the the entire journey that you've had, mm. you know, knockbacks were almost inevitable. And yeah. it just seemed like you continuously just rose above each and every one of them. Uh, rose out of adversity. Mm. And then the next season, that was even bigger because we stayed up in the Premier League. Yeah. And we beat Liverpool last game of the season. Yeah, so they had it. And they had to beat us to go in the Champions League. And we beat them 1-0 at home. And just before that game, on the Wednesday, we played on Sunday. I found on the Wednesday, I found out my dad was dying. Yeah, I read this in a book. And this is where Paul Jewell, his man management, come into play. Mm. Like he come in, I came in. I said to him, "Gaff, I don't think I can play." I had been out injured as well five weeks. Yeah, I broke my jaw both sides. I said, "I don't think I can play." He's gone. Do it for your dad. That's the only team talk I needed. Mm. I played like a man possessed that day. <laughs> uh, then I, come, I come in as well after we won 1-0. You know, the boys are celebrating because I've not told one of them. I've not told wow. none of them. And the gaffer come up to me and he's going, that's for your dad, whispered me in my ear. I'm busting eye water in the corner wow. and then when they're celebrating. <laughs> Moments like that. Yeah. Nah, that's that's what I mean. They were close, like, mm. very close. That's that's a special moment for sure. Yeah. And I, I suppose, you know, he obviously knew in that moment, yeah. you know, what you needed to hear. Yeah. You know, and, and what was that, that message that would not just allow you to go and perform the way you did, but yeah. 
you know, allow you to also know that he cared. Yeah. You know, when he was he there. Said he said he had it with his dad. And he mm. shared that story with me. Okay. So that inspired me to go out and do what I was doing. Mm. You know, play like a man possessed. I proper play like a man. He, on a couple of my other documentaries, he said, like, he can see it clear as day now. Mm. How scared they was of me. <laughs> he said, he's closing everyone down. <laughs> he's going from, and they're looking at me like I'm some nutter. Mm. But I just wanted to win and I wanted to do it for my dad. Yeah. No, you did. Yeah. And you did. And, you know, I, I think one of the things that I saw in, um, in, in, in both the articles and, and just doing research was, you know, your commitment to always being fit, always, like you said, yeah. having that work ethic that no one will outwork me. I yeah. will, I will beat everyone. I'll be first to everything. Yeah. That, I guess, followed you almost, you know, post your, um, your, your career as well. And, and, and not, yeah. you know, I guess before we get there, that time, you know, where at Bradford, because I, I don't want this to get lost, because like you said, you the supporters, you know, yeah. love you. So I think you were saying to us earlier, you go back as often as you can, you know, yeah. drink with them as, as well. Yeah. When you look back at that, that period at Bradford, you know, how or where does that rank, I suppose, you know, in the overall in know, my life. In career, yeah. In my career, best time of my life. Wow. That is the peak time of my life. It, it, Will never be surpassed except from my kids being born. Wow. Yeah, Bradford City was the best time. That's why I never wanted to leave. Secret level. Yeah. What What was the um the transition from from Bradford? Um, Bradford to Walsall. <laughs> the lesser about that, the better. Huh? <laughs> I had, I met some good friends there, like Paul Merson, Jimmy Walker, mm. Vinnie Samways, Darren Rack. Good, good friends. We're good friends now, mm. but the manager was an idiot. Yeah, yeah. Colin Lee. Yeah, I don't mind mentioning it. <laughs> right, <laughs> and then I went, truth. and then I went to Brentford after, and another manager who was a bully, and he couldn't bully me, so he got rid of us. Oh wow! Yeah, Martin Allen. Yeah. So it's interesting because, you know, I, I saw in the, in the article and some of the things that were, were said, you know, about footballers and, you know, it seemed like after the highs and, and certainly, you know, how your career was then, mm. I guess, kind of coming to a close, yeah. that transition often for most athletes really, but, you know, for footballers, you know, how was, how was, was that for you? It was really tough. I nearly got back involved in what I used to do because that's all I knew. You know what I mean? Oh wow! It was it was tough, it was really tough because the bills are still coming in. Mm. You know what I mean? And you're not earning this money no more. And I wasn't prepared for the end of my career because my my career was, had a premature ending. Right? I should I should have been playing for another three four years because I was fit enough to. Mm. But people started spreading rumours about me. That's why my career ended, wow. and I was, I was kind of angry at the time as well, mm. because the way it ended, you know. Yeah. And then I was drinking a bit too much, was going out too much, because you're trying to drown your sorrows, yeah, and try and drink it, um, troubles away. But they're there in the morning, mm. and then um, for me, it changed. Um, someone had a word with me, and then. Um, a couple of my mates had a word with me. And then I went and got educated again. And as soon as I went and got educated again, my book came out. And um, a school got in contact with me. Wow. A disadvantaged school. And I went and worked in there for five years. And it gave me a purpose. And I started up my academy in South London as well at the same time. It gave me a purpose of getting up every morning and going out and working and changing people's life and sharing my story. Yeah, I suppose it's almost the work that you you've done off the field, in a lot of ways, would probably it, be. It's, it's yeah, it's bigger than anything I've ever achieved because I've saved lives. Yeah, definitely saved lives. I know that for a fact. Yeah, I get loads of boys coming up to me and say, "Listen, if it weren't for you, I don't know where I've been. I've learned a lot from you, but 
all these boys want, they need someone who's going to be there for them, like people was for me, mm-hmm. right? And to challenge them. Can't just let them do what they want when they want. Mm-hmm. Got to challenge them. Yeah. And help them aspire to be better every day. Wow. There's two points that I wanted to mention, actually. I'll go back to you when you said that that transition mm-hmm. when you were leaving football and almost not being prepared. And I suppose you hear it a lot um, in modern day, you know, athletes, you know, uh, they have a going break. The, the rate is, is quite high of athletes who lose their money, etc. Yeah. Do you think, I guess, understanding, you know, what that that business side of the game or that business side of your career was there ever a, an education or conversation yeah. or anything like that yeah. listen agents used to come around when it's time to sign and they could earn though and then you would you maybe have a phone call oh you've done well today or whatever but they wouldn't help you with that wow. and and really like the pfa wouldn't help you with that either i mean but this needs to be more done Mm. I mean, with players. Yeah, I think it's it's almost one of those conversations that just get lost in in translation. Because uh, hopefully now it's it's progressing, it's gotten a lot better. But you know, a lot of the time, that that ugly side of the game where once you're finished and you're transitioning yeah, yeah. to you know normal life, it almost seems like there's a void. And I try and I try and t- talk to boys about this now, uh, and I also try to tell them about. Listen, don't think that you're anything special in the game because once you can't do it no more, mm, yeah. they just cut you. They get another one in. Yeah. I guess that's, that's how ruthless it yeah, is. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a ruthless side of, of, of the game that probably, again, gets swept on in the carpet. But, you know, it is part and part part of the game, I suppose. But at it the same part time. Of the game. But also, like, there's things in football where they train people the same way, like strength mm. and conditioning. And I always say to boys, listen, don't listen to these people. Go and do your own bits, mm-hmm. right? Because you got you need to be in control of your own career. No, let no one have con- control of your career yourself. Yeah, control it yourself. Yeah, nah, that's just wise words. And I guess it, a good segue into um, the stuff you're doing. You know, we talked about it off the field, the charity, the academy. Yeah. You know, where are you today with that, and and how you know are you shaping that to help people? And you know, in in true kind of a testament to the podcast, bring others along. You know, in your journey. Listen, one thing I do, I got the early morning things, mm-hmm. and I got footballers outside, and I got other boys who are aspiring footballers. I keep them off the road, and I'm trying to share my story, yeah. share my same ethics. To be a better person yeah yeah and and that's why i guess i was i was excited to sit down with you today because i think the story is just it's incredible you know what you've yeah. achieved i think no one can ever doubt <laughs> certainly your work ethic yeah. no one can actually doubt you know your, your determination and mindset yeah. but it's really something i guess for the younger generation and the young kids out there and, and you know you're doing a lot in the community to help kind of shape not just their mindset, but give them a bit of belief to, yeah. you know, like, you've obviously, tra- absolutely. Yeah, from what, 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 wherever you are today, it doesn't define you. Mm. Right. Ah, powerful message, powerful message. Nah, Jamie, that is, <laughs> I feel like there's a million other questions and, and a lot more time that, that yeah, we can go on. But, yeah. you know, one of the things that I guess um, with the podcast and staying with, you know, how we, can be better represented and this was actually something i wanted to talk to you earlier about because Mm -hmm. in the modern game that we see now and we touched on it a bit earlier on um off camera how football i guess um can be more i don't know i wouldn't say diverse you look at the players on the field you know but but it doesn't go into the um, boardroom exactly and that's where we need to be more represented in the boardroom and that's the only way anything's going to change that the fa you know i mean Listen, we keep talking about other countries being racist. Mm-hmm. We ain't even sorted out our own home yet. Right? Deal with your backyard first. Yeah. Yeah. You're throwing stones in the glass houses. Well, yeah. uh, it's a good point. And, and like you said, you know, it's one of those things where you're quick to point fingers, but, you know, like my nan would always say, there's always three pointing back at you. Yeah. You know, so it is, 
it, it just baffles me, you know, in a modern game, so much money, so much influence, but there's not a lot of representation of people that look like you and I. How many black positions. managers is there? Yeah. Uh, how many? Patrick Vieira, my, my mate Darren Moore. Who else is there? And that's just at managerial level. If yeah. you're talking, like you said, you know, the technical directors, the owners, yeah, people who yeah. are executive. Uh, even coaches and that, how many black coaches is there? Is that mm. Not many. What makes that transition, I think there's about 25% black players in the leagues. Wow. And we've got maybe two, maybe three black managers. Wow. Yeah. Nah, I think it's a conversation that's obviously going to be ongoing, but, you know, it's one that I suppose we can definitely delve into hopefully at another time. Um, But before we wrap up, one of the things or one of the questions that I always put towards the guests, and you don't have to say it now on camera or whatnot, but it's more a case of, you know, who would you bring along you know, to sit in your in in the seat on the podcast to to help share, to help inspire, to help you know, kind of um, give you know young people, old people, whoever you know, some inspiration. You know, someone that you know or you've you know come in contact with. You know, because that's what you know. This is all about us just having a platform to where we're representing in a way that can actually help bring others along. That's me. Who inspires me? A few actually. <laughs> Yeah. We, mate, we can get this going. My mate Marvin Elliott, mm-hmm. who played at Bristol City, played at Millwall, played for Jamaica as well. My mate Eubank Gray, who's an agent, he's learned a lot. And my cousin A.D. Ward, who was up until the other day Sterling's agent. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so. Yeah. yeah. No, and those are all people, you know, who I think have a voice. You know, they've obviously had a journey and they certainly have a story to tell. So, yeah. you know, hopefully we can get a few of those guys on and, and they can share their lived experiences and ways in which we can, you know, help the community and, yeah. and really push the culture forward. Because I think yeah. you're right in terms of that ratio. Just, it doesn't really, it, it, it does, the adders, the, the adders the, the don't m- might happen now is the start of their own clubs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's money out there, man. Yeah. Get it done. Yeah. yeah. Nah. Well, Jamie, look, first and foremost, once again, thank you. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on, taking the time. I think, you know, your story is nothing short of, you know, for me reading it to hearing you speak of it, speak on it. uh, Incredible, you know, and I think definitely the work you're doing in the community uh, with the youngsters, your academy, the charity work that you do as well. um, Super, super proud. Anything we can do to support it as well, you know, let us know. But yeah um it's it's been a real it's been a real pleasure and, and thank you for for coming thank on you for ship. coming all this way man yeah Manchester not a problem at all and, and shouts out to uh to to john uh for putting this together as well uh john big Warren. up john yeah nah he's a he's a good guy and, yeah. and he was the first person that kind of pinpointed you to say you, you gotta you gotta speak to jamie you gotta sit down with jamie oh. We know what's coming anyway. We've got um, yeah, we've got six part or eight part um, documentary coming, in depth, going around up and down the country, talking to people, what have influenced my life. Yeah, and I, I think that's probably going to add another layer beyond the book. You know, hopefully people yeah, can really tap than the into book. that. Yeah. yeah. Nah, look. Really appreciate it. Um, for everyone listening, everyone watching, once again, thank you uh, for supporting the podcast. Um, make sure to follow us at uh, Bring Others Along podcast um, across all socials. Uh, make sure you like, rate, subscribe, um, all of that good stuff. And yeah, until next time, Jamie, appreciate it, bro. Respect, bro. Really, really good sitting thank down you. with you. Yeah. Oh,